Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and didn't want anyone to know it, yet he couldn't keep his presence secret. In fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an evil spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek born in Syrian Phoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. First, let the children eat all they want, he told her, for it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Yes, Lord, she replied, but even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he told her, <clears throat> for such a reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. She went home and found her child lying on the bed and the demon gone. Then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon, down to the Sea of Galilee and into the region of the Decapolis. There, some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk, and they begged him to place his hand on the man. After he took him aside, away from the crowd, Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears. Then he spat and touched the man's tongue. He looked up to heaven and with a deep sigh said to him, Ephatha, which means be opened. At this, the man's ears were opened. His tongue was loosened and he began to speak plainly. Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone, but the more he did so, the more they kept talking about it. People were overwhelmed with amazement. He does everything well, they said. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Just pray together. Lord, just ask as we come to your living word that it would be that. It would be a living word that would bless us and enrich our lives and will give us a boldness in our step as we leave this place this morning. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, bit of a challenge, really, because it's two beautiful stories, two beautiful stories of healing. Do I try and cover them both or concentrate on one? I've decided just to concentrate on the first one and try and do it justice for you. Um, because it's quite a challenging passage. Verse 24 of chapter 7 says straight away, from there, his hometown of Nazareth, he set out and went away to the region of Tyre. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know that he was there. And when I read this for the first time, I thought, hang on, what's going on here? I mean, why has Jesus suddenly ventured into heathen, pagan country? Surely, surely he was called to the people of Israel. Surely this is outside his missionary brief. Because up to now he's been quite clear about his calling as Israel's Messiah, the one who will restore the lost sheep of Israel. 
And when he commissioned the 12, he even warned them about avoiding the Gentiles. So what is going on? Have we got our map? Somewhere we have our little map. There it is. That's the region that we're talking about. You can see Galilee, you can see the long coastline. Tyre and Sidon were great seaports of Phoenicia. They stretched all along that coastal plain that you can see. As the historian Josephus said, they encompassed Galilee. Dan and I are great sailors. I think there's probably one or two other sailors here this morning. I love the Phoenicians. They were great sailors. They were the first people to navigate by the stars. They went all over the place. They certainly even ended up in Cornwall at the tin mines. And these two cities were largely independent, and they were great rivals. They had their own kings, their own gods, and even had their own coinage. But to the Jews, (coughs) the Phoenicians were the great unwashed. They were pagan worshippers with no ritual laws of cleanliness. They were contemptible Gentiles. They were the dogs. You see, Jesus has already been told by his, told his disciples that he's only been sent to the lost sheep of Israel. So we have to ask ourselves, what is he doing so far away from home on Gentile soil? Well, Unfortunately, at this point of his ministry, the lost sheep of Israel are not showing any inclination to be found. Last week, Rosemary and I stayed on a Devon sheep farm, um, which was really nice. I had to go down to um, take a funeral, uh, a scattering of ashes at sea. So we stayed in a bed and breakfast, and it had three, four hundred sheep. And one morning we were driving into Dartmouth on our way to to do the funeral, and we saw these sheep, the farmer, leading these sheep down a lane. And so we followed in the car, and they all seemed, they didn't didn't really look very good. And Rosalie said to me, oh look, there's bandy legs there. And this one was hobbling along, and another one was limping, and another sheep was, was really sort of struggling quite a bit, made look quite mangy. So we stopped to talk to the farmer, and we said, well, you know, these sheep, why, why are you moving them? He said, well, I've had to pick out all the runts out of the herd, all the ones that have had lots of injections, and we're going to take them to the lower field. So we said, what happens to them then? Oh, he says, marvellous. He said, the Pakistani community in Birmingham love them. They come down and they pay a premium price, and they end up in the Birmingham curries. And of course, they cover them with so much sauce. He said, it doesn't matter what they taste like. Mind you, he said, they've had so many injections from the vet, I wouldn't eat them. (laughs) So back to the lost sheep of Israel. What is the problem? What is Jesus doing up here? Well, you see, the scribes and Pharisees have branded him as a sinner because he broke their rules and regulations. Herod sees him as a menace. And to top it all, he's just come from Nazareth, his own hometown, where his friends and family have poo-pooed his authority and taken offence at his teaching. Now, on top of all that, he's heard about John the Baptist having his head sliced off at the whim of a dancing girl, which Norman was talking about fairly recently. 
And we have to remember, we have to remember that Jesus is very human as well as being the Son of God. So it's a fair guess to reckon what might be happening to him. Because he's human, because he's so discouraged, because the news about his cousin John would have upset him, he's weary. His hometown doesn't want him anymore. Every time he turns round, somebody wants something from him. But at the same time, nobody wants what he most wants to give himself in terms of who he is for them, not just what he can do for them. I reckon he's pretty well at the frayed end of his rope. So he tries to withdraw from the crowds for a breathing space, for a short retreat. Only the crowds keep following him everywhere. So escape to the pagan north seems like a good idea. Bury your head under the duvet for a while. Let the world go away. But even here, Jesus cannot escape notice. He gets accosted yet again. And this time, it's not even by his own flock, the lost sheep of Israel. It's a Gentile woman, a Greek, a Syrophoenician, and she's crying out to him on her knees to heal her daughter. He's trying to escape, he's trying to get away from it all, and there is yet another demand. Yet another one of the needy multitude who won't leave him alone. Matthew's Gospel gives us a fuller picture of the encounter. Matthew 21 to 25. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And a Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Jesus did not answer a word, so his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. And he answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. But the woman came and knelt before him, Lord, help me, she said. See, to make matters even worse, there he is, he's at a low ebb, and this new demand doesn't even come from his lost sheep, the lost sheep of Israel. Surely he can't do it all. Use up all his energy on this Gentile woman while his own people go on wanting. So what does he do? He dismisses her. I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel, he says. Jesus has dismissed her. But rather like the widow who kept badgering away at the judge, the persistent widow, she won't be dismissed. She's got her foot on the door and she isn't going to budge. Lord, help me, she cries out. You can almost hear the huge wheels of history beginning to turn as something inside Jesus is rearranged and changed forever as Jesus starts to come to an understanding of who he is and what he's been called to do. He is no longer just the Messiah, just to the lost sheep of Israel, but he is also God's chosen redeemer of the whole world, Jews and Gentiles alike, beginning with this Canaanite woman. At first blush, Jesus' response when the woman asks for help seems shocking. Let the children be fed first, for it is not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. 
Will children be fed first, for it's not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs? You see, in those days, they didn't use knives and forks. They certainly didn't have napkins. They ate with their hands. Then they wiped their food on, wiped the, the, the greasy food on their fingers on great chunks of bread. And guess what they did with those chunks of bread? They threw them to the dogs, to the house dogs. How many dog owners have we got here this morning? Hands up. Oh, we've got quite a few. We've got quite a few doggers, haven't we? That's great. Okay, guys, this is confession time. I want you to be honest. How many of you allow your dogs to be fed at the table? Oh, you are. How do you do it? How do you do it? Let me introduce you to Puppin. That is Puppin. That's our rescue dog. We've got some more pictures of him. He's a bit of a sea dog too, Dan. Have you noticed that? I've got some more pictures of him. Well, anyway, Puppin, you see, came to us when my youngest daughter was at a low ebb. We'd never, we'd never had dogs before in the family. I'd had dogs as a boy. So my three daughters said to me, Dad, what are the rules about dogs? And I said, there are two rules. There's two rules. It's very, very simple. One, you don't feed them at the table. And two, they don't sleep upstairs. They sleep, that's right, Ian. They sleep downstairs. Two very, very simple rules. And the good news is the first rule that you don't feed them at the table lasted three hours. <laughs> they lasted three, there he is. There he is. Uh, they lasted three hours. And the second rule, maybe another two hours after that. So guess where he sleeps? Upstairs in the bedroom. And guess where he gets fed? At the table too. Anyway, that's Puppin. I just wanted to introduce you to him, but there's, there's some relevance to that. So back to our text. Jesus has just said, let the children be fed first, for it's not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. Now, the point here is he's probably using figurative language. You see, the children represent his disciples. The children's bread, the benefits of his ministry to them, and the dogs represent the Gentiles. Jesus is telling the woman that his first calling was to instruct the disciples, so it was not appropriate for him to interrupt the family meal to give the dogs food from the table. Are you with me so far? One or two nods, that's good. But you see, dog was still a Jewish term of contempt for the Gentiles. But worse than that, worse than that, to the Greeks, the word dog meant a shameless, audacious woman. So whichever way you look at it, the term dogs, to our eyes, seems insulting, doesn't it? It seems insulting. But, it's Kerry, he's not here, is he? We've got our wonderful Greek scholar. If you go back to the Greek, it's really interesting, because if you go back to the Greek translation, Jesus actually uses a, a diminutive word which describes not the wild dogs in the street, but the little pet dogs, like Puppin, that were kept in the house. And in Greek, diminutive words are characteristically affectionate. 
They're said with a smile and in a tone of voice that makes all the difference. You see, this woman was a Greek, and Greeks had a real gift for repartee, so she knew at once that Jesus was speaking with a smile. Sir, she says in Mark's version, but son of David in Matthew's is perhaps stronger. It's the same title reserved for the Messiah, the title his own people would have withheld from him. And she names him, she recognises him, she names him, and that's so significant, because at this point in his ministry, even his own disciples have failed to recognise who he is and what he's called to do. What irony, what irony for Jesus to have to hear what he most wants to hear, coming from the mouth of someone he least wants to hear it from. Even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. But her point was that even the dogs, even the dogs at mealtime get some food at the same time as the children. They don't have to wait. He doesn't have to interrupt his teaching to his disciples. All she humbly requested was a crumb of grace to meet her desperate need. And Jesus loved it. Here was a sunny faith that wouldn't take no for an answer. Here was the woman with the tragedy of a sick daughter at home, yet there was still light enough in her heart to reply with a smile. Symbolically, she stands for the Gentile world, which was, world which was so eager to seize, seize on the bread of heaven while the Jews had rejected it and thrown it away. And that's what Mark is trying to tell us. So, what's the lesson for us? Well, I think last week Norman probably dealt with the earlier part of chapter 7, where Jesus wipes away any distinction between clean and unclean foods. Did he, did he cover that with you last week? Yes, he did. So this journey into the Gentile region of Tyre was to teach his followers and us that everyone, everyone, regardless of race, creed, colour, religious affiliation, cultural affinity, everyone has, an op has the opportunity of a place in the kingdom, one for them through the cross of Christ. But there's a very interesting point to this story, actually. It's quite significant that these territories that he's traveled to were originally meant to be part of the realm of Israel. Can we have Joshua 19, 28 to 9? Thank you. When the land was partitioned off under Joshua, the tribe of Asher was allocated the land as far as Great Sidon to the fortified city of Tyre. So the, the, God had originally designed these lands to be part of Israel, but the Jews had never been able to subdue them. So you see, Phoenicia was originally part of Syria. So when Jesus went there to a land which long ago God had already given him for his inheritance, the inheritance lived on, an inheritance that is part and parcel of the new covenant, one for all through the cross of Christ. And the great news is for us, I think, that we also are people of that inheritance, of that new covenant inheritance. So even, I, I, what I really found for me studying this patches was even despite all the awful stuff that's going on in Syria now, all the 
evil weaponry, all the wars and the destruction, even despite that, in that land, Christ has already won the inheritance 2,000 years ago. He has already proved victorious. And there will ultimately, although there's a lot of pain to go through, there will ultimately be restoration and victory. Jesus is fulfilling his inheritance. He's answering a call to a wider ministry of lost sheep worldwide. It's interesting that this is the only miracle recorded in Mark that Jesus performed at a distance without giving a vocal command. Through this woman's faith, it seems as if God's purpose for Jesus worked like a sort of lever, opening his arms wider and wider until there was room for the whole world, until ultimately he allowed them to be nailed on a cross for Jews and Gentiles alike. So what can we draw from this passage? Well, let me ask you, in the same way, doesn't the call of God keep after us? So that whenever we impose limits on who we will be to other people or who we will let them be for us, God gets to work. So that we come to notice the difference between the times when we are hanging back withdrawing from people, keeping a tighter rein on our feelings, and the times when we are moving out in faith with compassion and grace in the power of the fruit of the Spirit. Stepping out as Jesus did, outside the boundaries of traditions and cultural taboos, looking a sorry Phoenician woman straight in the eye, turning a supposed insult into an affectionate address with a twinkling smile. Not because we have to, not because we ought to, not even because we want to, but because we know that it's God's own self that will be rewarded by our step of faith. Amen. Amen.